Everybody take a deep breath, stretch. Draw the superconscious up the spine, relax. As Sean said, Swamiji has written that you don't need to be in superconscious to live superconsciously. The second part of what he said with that was, all you need to do is retrain your mind. That's all you need to do to draw, <laughs> to draw on that superconsciousness. So our goal is superconsciousness, but in the meantime, we can draw from that, as Sean was saying. And how do we do that? We've been speaking about a whole lot of different ways, especially meditation, drawing the grace of the guru, doing all our techniques. Today, I wanted to focus on one other small part of that training in the mind that's been uh, dear to my journey on the path. And it starts um, with the ninth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. The first verse says, uh, this is Krishna speaking to Arjuna. He said, O oh Arjuna, you who have overcome the carping spirit, to you I reveal the mystery of the imminent transcendent Lord. Grasping this intuitive wisdom, you shall be free from all evil. So the carping spirit. When I first read that in the Bhagavad Gita, somehow it really grabbed me. I loved that. I know somehow in my mind, I didn't think they had the carping spirit like thousands of years ago. <laughs> <laughs> or that something so mundane would, you know, be the first part of one of the chapters of the greatest scriptures of the world. But what is the carping spirit? The carping spirit is that part of us that wants to stand back and judge, stand in the judgment to the world to say, you know, it's not quite measuring up. You know, you should really be this way. It's, it's our thwarted desires. It's our wanting to say things should be different than they really are. And, you know, the outward carping spirit people whom you all know are the ones that complain all the time. Now, of course, we're not like that. <laughs> and they're just complaining and negative. But the real carping spirit is in all of us because what is carping spirit? It's the thwarted desire. Well, if yoga is the neutralization of those waves of desire, and we're not all quite there yet, it means there's part of us who's carping. There's a carping spirit in there. And we need, to, we need to deal with that carping spirit. We need to do it somehow. So this realization came to me. I said, yeah, there's a little bit of the carping spirit in there. And so, of course, in good American tradition, the first thing I did in the tradition of psychotherapy was blame my parents. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> now this isn't without some you know, justification. My mother... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's always a good illustration to look back at your family to see where you've come from once you've overcome that of course uh, and my mother was a product of the 50s she went to college had a scientific education you know was the altar of the ultimate rationality the dr spock era and she uh, had four kids in five years and decided she needed to get organized so our household had all kinds of systems. It had all kinds of details. It had charts. It had everything organized. And of course, we were like fish in water. We didn't know that we were wet. And you know, we just got organized. And uh, that was the way the household ran. And it was, it was a good thing. You know, we had clean underwear, and the meals were on the table. And, but gradually, you start to realize that my mother always had something that wasn't quite right with the system. There was always some detail that was eluding her, that would escape from her control. <laughs> and she complained about it. And she would, you know, curse the world for, oh, God, if they'd just gotten that one right and just doing this. And, and gradually, uh, you know, rest her soul, she passed away about a year ago. But, 
you know, it, it gradually became a, a foremost part in her consciousness. And, you know, those of us around her helped saw her struggle with that, with that negativity. And it, it really wasn't a good thing. She was not living in bliss. I mean, even though most of everything was pretty organized and going forward just like it was supposed to, she didn't experience that happiness. And that's the trouble with the carping spirit. It keeps us from that happiness, from that bliss, from that unity of the superconscious. There's one story that stands out in my mind when I was thinking about this, and that's we were, uh, this was a little bit later, we were a little bit older, but in typical fashion, my mother was organizing all these things, and it involved, you know, her going somewhere and us trying to meet us there, meet her there and bring things to her, and it involved my brother coming to the house, and so we were working out all these details about how this was going to come and pick up this and get my sisters and put this in the car and do all this, and so we went on for about five or ten minutes, my mother making sure everything was in place, and then at the last minute, she said, what if the car won't start? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, leave that behind. That's not where we want to be. That's not super consciousness. So when I left home, of course, I you know left all this behind. But no, it's part of my mind. I was drawn to a world where that was rewarded. I was drawn to the intellectual world of academia. So I spent a long time being a student and going through these things. I was in a PhD program in Berkeley, and we spent all this time you know, in this temple to the intellect. It's a, it's a symbol of our society that this is, you know, the highest part. These are the smartest people. These are the best people. And you know what? It really, it finally dawned on me. This is this temple to the ego. I mean, it's all about my ideas and my ideas are better than your ideas. And I'm going to tell you why your ideas aren't as good as my ideas. And we spent all this time sitting around, you know, it was collegial and congenial, but we spent all this time criticizing each other and, you know, tearing everything down to the the lowest degree and you'd, you'd have like one person would come with some kind of inspiration maybe he touched super consciousness and come up with a great idea and then there'd be all these people writing papers and doing this about finding the problem with it and cutting it down that's the way knowledge base is built in our society so fortunately i found ananda about this time when i was still trying to deal with all this and i came up here and there were Fortunately, wiser people here. When I came here, I was supposedly finishing my dissertation. And so I'd go between the meditation temple and my office where I'm doing all my analytical criticism and back to the meditation and <laughs> <laughs> trying to, you know, learn about super consciousness and try to bring that in. And it was tough. And, you know, it, fortunately, there are some people wiser than myself, Anandi and Bharat and some others that go, you know, Peter, are you sure you really want to be doing this? Is this, are you happy with this? And you know, there's a lot of inertia sometimes. There's a lot of momentum to our lives of going a certain way. And so I kept going. And finally, I, you know, they offered me a job. And I really wasn't very happy in this. And I sort of knew that. But I said, okay, I got to get guidance on this, you know, guidance. So I go into seclusion. And I'm going to find out, should I keep doing this? And so I meditate. I have a very nice seclusion. And, okay, I'm looking for guidance. I open the path. First thing I see is Swami writing, he who has his feet in two boats soon falls between them. <laughs> and then, of course, my mind goes, but yeah, but I got all this energy invested in this. You know, I've, my parents want me to do this. I mean, this is what I'm good at. I have to finish this PhD, even though I'm never going to use it for anything. <laughs> and then uh, I said, okay, I need more guidance. <laughs> Isn't that the way we are? Super conscious here, I need more guidance. So I open Whispers from Eternity. Whispers of Eternity number 34. I burnt my past. (laughs) 
I have stridden, I have stridden through the past, through my, my past and future fears. Okay, it's pretty clear. So, <laughs> so I left that behind. I, I did leave the PhD. I left the rational mind. I said, okay, I'll just devote myself to Ananda here. And I was offered a job, and in, in uh, the wisdom of the people here, I was put in charge of maintaining the meditation retreat when it was uh, at a fairly lower state than it is now. Where it, was, it was duct tape and bailing wire, and it was right there in the physical plane. And so I was, you know, I was living in my superconscious or trying to and trying to raise all this up and, and uh, you know, leave behind this rational analytical mind. Well, it soon became apparent to me looking around that the Pollyanna approach of, uh, you know, three ohms and ohm guru didn't really work very well fixing the water system or <laughs> it didn't really keep the food on the table. And I looked around and I said, well, you know, the people of Crystal Clarity, you know, they're affirming they're going to sell lots of books, but that's not how they're selling books. They're out there engaging the, the world. They're engaging this plane on its own terms. And they're drawing inspiration. They're drawing from Master, drawing from Swami, but they're, they're not doing this on a, on a wing and a prayer. It's not just faith. And Swami says that the superconscious, it's not something that can do everything for you. You have to cooperate with the path, but you can't rely on it to do things for you. You have to bring it down and to combine it. And there's a place for that rational faculty in here. And, you know, I could have been put in charge of somewhere or, or serving somewhere where I didn't have to think a lot, but in the wisdom of the people here, I was put in somewhere where I did have to make this, this choice. I did have to think a lot. I was put into a lot of different situations where we had to bring this down. And if you look at our gurus, look at this path that we're on. I mean, think about our masters. These aren't masters who are sitting in a Himalayan cave being served and fanned by their devotees while they commune with the infinite bliss. I mean, we've got, we've got Christ and Babaji who, I don't really know what they're doing or what they are, but they're in charge of the evolution of a planet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's, they're probably engaged. <laughs> and then we have Lahiri Mahashaya. He was a, you know, a, an accountant in the military engineering department. He had a, two sons. He had a household. He received the bliss of samadhi, of Kriya Yoga. He went back and did that. Yukteswar. He had a daughter. He had his lands, his estates. He instituted lawsuits to protect his home so he could remain independent. We have an avatar instituting lawsuits. I mean, that's pretty engaged. <laughs> we have Yogananda, who, when he writes to Swami, said, do you have enough butane? He's talking about filling potholes in the driveway. He's creating a worldwide work. You don't create a worldwide work just staying up here. You have to bring it down. You have to use those rational faculties bringing it down. So as I've served here at Ananda, I've tried to balance that. And it's been a, you know, a long-term struggle. We're still working on it. It's not always the easiest thing to do. But there's, it's great because here we have lots of devotees who serve with us and they can remind you. Swamiji has always asked us to start every meeting we do with a prayer. Bring in that consciousness when you start. Say, I am elevating this. I'm asking for the guidance of the masters. This isn't me doing that. And if you're in the corporate boardroom and you're with people who may not understand and want to repeat the prayer with you, just, just do it silently. You can, do, you, can, you can still bring that prayer in there. It's okay. And then, as uh, Swami writes about the process, he says, when you're, when you're trying to get that creative flow going, when you're trying to look for solutions, you've got to put the yeah buts on a burner, on the back burner for a while. And so, you know, I always find myself at meetings, and, of course, my old mind jumps up there, and somebody will introduce an idea, and I just want to go, yeah, but! 
And they go, okay, relax, relax. Let's just get the flow going here. Let's see what happens. And, and there's a time for that. There's a time for that evaluation. But Swami says one of the, that's the, one of the most important times. There is a time for evaluation, for rational evaluation. You know, if something is truly inspiring, that, that will be brought down, that devotion. That thing will bring it down, and that intuition will make sense on this plane. That rational, it will make sense rationally. So you can evaluate. Some things don't make sense rationally, and, you know, you're not going to do it just on an Om Guru. you gotta, you got to ground it. It's got to be, it's got to make sense. But when, when that time comes, he said that's the time to exert the most willpower to hold on to that original creative superconscious inst- in, in, <coughs> inspiration. So you brought your inspiration down, you're in a meeting, you just let that go for a while, you work with that, you meditate on it, then you come to the evaluation. Don't tune into all those little problems, all those things that are right there. Bring it back, tie it to that inspiration so you don't forget it, because it's really easy. We've been trained in a society, we've trained our minds, we've gone to school, except the Living Wisdom School, of course. We've gone to school, they've said, analyze, cut, separate. That's not unity, that's not what we're trying to do, that's not success. So hold on to that. A couple of examples of how this has worked. I'm, I deal with the housing committee here where we're trying to put people in houses. And it's always a challenging and difficult thing because we try to serve people's needs but not necessarily cater to their desires. And our definition of their needs and desires is usually different than their definitions of their <laughs> desires and their needs. <laughs> so we try to work with that and what's best for the community. And sometimes it just doesn't go. But then we'll wait for a while, we'll pray, or we'll have a meeting with everybody there, and it comes together. There it is. There's the solution. Everybody just goes, yeah, okay, that works. And we move people around, and we're on to the next chapter of how the housing world turns. (laughs) (laughs) And another example recently that came, uh, Virani wanted to start a, a Sunday school. And she wanted to help take care of the kids here from when their parents were at service in the amphitheater, and we were trying to look for a place to do that. And, you know, we had, she had a few ideas. I thought of some things. We started going, oh, that won't work. Well, let's just go out and look. So we go out and we rode around, and all of a sudden, there it is. We have something we neither of us really thought of, and over in the permaculture orchard, where we're trying to create this beautiful environment where there's live nature, where the devas are there, where there's trees and where there's a fence to contain the energy when it needs to be contained. And and that worked. It was just, we hadn't even thought of it, but we were open. We weren't judging. We were open to that flow. And Swami says that, you know, being open to that divine inspiration, being open to that super consciousness, sometimes it may not solve the problem. Sometimes all it may give you is the calmness to put up with a really difficult situation. But that's better than being caught in your analytical self and being chopping everything up and not being happy. So, and a lot of times, though, it does give us that solution. If you can draw on that openness, trust, trust in God, trust in God and the gurus that through your heart's perception, it's going to bring that into your life. That super consciousness will come. It'll solve. And then take the analytical mind and put it out there. And when I do planning with the county, it's not often that the county fire planner uh, decides that we don't really need sprinklers on that building because I have a firm intuition that Master doesn't want us to spend $20,000 to put sprinklers <laughs> in that building. <laughs> so I have to bring it down. I have to convince him. I have to play that game. But keep the mind here. Keep it in super consciousness. Keep it through the gurus. Keep it through God's grace.